We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And this week, we have uh, our uh, our good friend and my cousin, Ziad Goma. Um, he's, uh, he went to Stony Brook with us. Uh, he studied computer engineering with John. And, um, well, I mean, I, I grew up with him, too. I guess that's a pretty big thing. But, um, yeah, we're... He he's had a pretty interesting um, career path that I guess started when he was in high school, and we're gonna walk through that. We're gonna talk about like the different types of PMs or um, manage project managers, yeah. product managers, program managers, all of that. Um, Ziad Ziad likes to talk, and he he's probably smiling listening to this right now. But um, yeah, I think this is a good one. So let's do it. Hi, Ziad. Please introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, and let's hear about Z Money. All right, cool. Um, all right, so I'm Ziad Goma, um, a former colleague of John and Ahmed, um, also Ahmed's cousin. Um, yeah, but yeah, I guess <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to introduce myself because it's like I know you guys, but. Um, I don't know. I guess about me. Um, I, I'll, I guess I'll start with like what I do and whatever. So um, I am currently a product manager at uh, American Express uh, in New York City, um, and I studied computer engineering in college. Um, I guess not about like that side of me. I'm also a big car fanatic. Um, I drive a Mazda Miata. Surprise! Surprise! To anyone who knows me, um, yeah, I drive a Mazda Miata. Uh, it's a 2017, so it's the ND generation. Um, I've basically modified every part of it that I possibly could, except for supercharging it or turbocharging it. Um, and that was the plate on that. Oh yeah, yeah. The license plate is go kart, <laughs> which I was surprised that no one took. Uh, it's the only one in New York called go kart, so that's pretty cool. Um, Your car is the slowest out of the three of us. Yeah, uh, maybe, probably. I don't know. With the tune, with the tune, it's like zippy, but like it's by no means like fast. No, no. no. I think, <laughs> yo, M- I think, I, I think I'd give, I think I'd give anyone work on a track. I'll be honest. Probably, yeah. It's, a, it's well, my that thing handles like, I just it think like I'm so nice, but like I honestly think I could. No, it handles really well. It, it corners like a. I want to. I want to do a track day so badly. Yeah, definitely. I but think, I, it, I think I, it would humble me so hard, though. Yep. I think as soon as I get on a track, I'm gonna be like, yo, 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 I need to get out of here. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's gonna, be, like, you know, walking I'm in, like, I'm ready. Here. Yeah, I'm walking in ready. Like, yeah, I'm about to basically play Forza, bro. But like, as soon as I walk <laughs> in, I'm gonna be like crying, especially because yeah. you usually let an instructor take you around the track. Uh, especially if it's your first time on any track, but if you've never been on any, if you've never been on a track before in your life, like you need some lessons because it's not the same thing as driving on the street at all. Um, yeah. And most people, like in most people, when the instructor is driving their car, are freaking out. 
And then like instructors just having a normal day at work. And then they'll like end the, end the lap. Like, all right, you got that. Like you got to hit this apex, hit this corner. Do not, you know, hit the accelerator at this point or else your car is going to spin out. Like stuff yeah. like that, because you're driving your car at like 10 out of 10. Like if you could go any faster then you should go faster or else you're going to be like slower around the track. Um, and so basically at any given point, your car is like one little maneuver, like one bad, like shift, one bad, like turn away from like sliding or Totaling losing it, traction. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like it'd be exhilarating though. I like, there's no doubt that I want to go. And I think, I think there's some tracks in what Jersey yeah. being yeah. the closest, like, uh, they, they I've seen some ads for like, uh, like renting supercars and driving it on a track in, uh, I think it was in Jersey, but yeah, that'd honestly be a great birthday gift to anybody. Yeah. Would you rather, would you rather drive a supercar on a, on the track or your own car? Uh, no, I'd definitely rather drive my own car to be honest. Oh wait, I don't know. My bad. I'm using my I'm using I'm using my laptop audio, so I was like turning around in my office chair. Um, yeah, I don't. I would definitely rather take my uh, my Miata to be honest. I think if I if I think if I was to get a supercar, I just want to be seen in it and just like drive and like flex in it. That makes sense. Like I feel like I'd rather drive a supercar in like Miami and not even go fast <laughs> than to uh, than to take it on a track. Cause like I wouldn't know what to do with it. Like I'm not like you know Lewis Hamilton or something. Yeah. I mean, imagine I feel like just it, no care though. You could like if you were really in like a Forza type world, you could just drive total the shit out of it, restart. <laughs> <laughs> you never just, actually lose the car, so you're just like a little more fearless and reckless. Yeah, bro. I'll take GTA. You just wake up in the hospital and keep going. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's let's get back into the topic of Ziad and corporate America. And I want you, I want you to tell us about your, I want you to tell us about times you were like happy and upset with how things were for you at work. At work. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, without getting yourself in trouble. Yeah, no, I know. I'm like, I'm, I had thought about this already. I have to tiptoe around a lot of stuff that I'm working on. Um, but like plenty of stories to tell as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess to dive into some background, um, I have a pretty funny, I guess, career history. Um, so I started, I, my first job was at a phone store. I was working at AT AT&T. Um, and that was, I think my favorite job that I ever had till this day. Um, and it was because it was literally like, well, one, it was a commission like sales job. So I would, anytime people are coming in the store, like if you've ever been to a phone store, which you probably have, like it's, it's one worst experience ever. Like, I don't know why people were coming to the phone store, but they were. And so I was selling them phones, but yeah, it, it was like, it was a lot of fun because when people come in, like your goal is to sell them a phone, like not exactly to help them with their problem. Like you'd only want to help them if it got you to sell them, if it got you, if it got them to buy a phone from you. Otherwise, you would like you would send them to like a non-commissioned store, like you know the normal AT and T, not like the authorized retailer, because it's like yeah. why why would I like waste my time with this? But I, I mean that's at least the way they wanted you to do it. Like don't waste the don't waste like your time and energy on on people who's not going to make us money. 
But like, I found that it was really easy to sell people things when you actually help them with stuff. And like, even if they don't buy a phone that day, like their, their good experience, like always like comes back later. Like, I, I just, I feel like, I feel like just being like a very useful, like, like competent person tends to take you pretty far. And so that's kind of been like a common theme for me, honestly, in my career. Like it's, it's really never about like, oh, I'm the best salesman, like in terms of like raw skill of like studying sales, like people will study, like study sales and buy courses online and stuff. And they'll be like, make sure you make them say yes within the first 1.8 seconds or else your chances of flipping the sale are going to go down by 87%. And then it's like, yeah, but how about offering them something they want to buy first? right like actually have something that people want to buy and be the type of person they want to buy it from and like you know sell you you become really good at sales when that happens um and so that's that that was and so actually there like i most of the things i liked about that job were, weren't actually part of the job at all um so i had this coworker named um <laughs> and so uh to, to i guess set the scene about he was like 30 something years old uh he lives he lived at home with his dad um, you know, very, I don't know. He's very like average dude, honestly. Um, but like, he was like, yeah, I don't want to call him like a freak or something. Cause I actually liked him, but he was just a weirdo. Like one day, one day we were working together, but he disappeared. And I was like, where did he go? Cause he's supposed to be working right now. And I'm hearing noises out of this door that's in the corner of the room. And I've never opened the door before. So I just go over to the door and I open it and I find out we have a whole basement under the uh, under the <laughs> store. And I didn't like I've been working there for like a couple months at that point. I had no idea. So I go downstairs to find him. Like, is there like stock or like some like inventory down here? I go down and he's got his headphones on practicing archery. <laughs> Bro, he's practicing what? archery. I swear. I swear to you. This man is in the basement of the store with like this big cube of like styrofoam with a target on it. And he has a whole bow and arrow, like just shooting it. And I'm just like, where, like, you could only imagine, bro. Like, there's like, I, I had no idea this was happening right under my feet the whole time. Dude, at some point he had to walk into a phone store with a bow and arrow in his hand. <laughs> Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I didn't know you were into archery beyond the fact that he was just doing that. But like, I mean, if you see someone playing with like bow and arrow, like you don't let them not let you use it, too. So like then I was like, all right, well, I got to get I got to get a couple cracks on it. But I was like, I didn't know you were into archery, bro. He's like, yeah, man, I I love archery. Like, it's so much fun, like all that. Enough to do it while on the job. I mean, I, I was like, yo, that's cool. I didn't know that about you. He's like, yeah, bro, I just got this bow and arrow off Amazon. It was like 20 bucks, bro. Like, yeah, I've just been doing this in my backyard. I'm like, oh, so you're not actually to. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> He's not even into archery, bro. He just, he, just bought a bow and, he just bought a bow and arrow. I mean, like, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. But like, like I haven't, I don't think I've shot a bow and arrow since then. And that was in my, it was like, early college end of high school days so i don't know i, I feel like if, if if it was more important skill i would have definitely been better at it but it just doesn't come up that much in daily life here when i was at uh when i was at at&t i would meet all sorts of characters every day because like everybody's got a phone like that's just like yeah. you know everyone everyone's got a phone no matter if it's an iphone like if you no matter if it's the nicest iphone or 
people come in and buy prepaid like burner phones, like trap phones and shit. It wouldn't matter to me. I'm just selling phones, but like you get to meet a whole gamut of people. And with this dude I met, his uh, um, and he was mad chill, like really nice, like all that. And then like I'm like helping him with his phone and stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, bro, like I need this phone working, bro, like because like I'm, my career is like about to take off and all that." I was like, "Oh, what do you do?" And he's like, "Yeah, bro, I'm a rapper. Like I'm coming up." I was like, "No way, bro." He's like, "Yeah, but like the thing is, is like." My raps are fire, but I don't know how to post them on SoundCloud. And I was like, oh, all right. Like, I mean, I can help you with that. Like, you know, we're just help, just making small talk. That's easy. And yeah. so, so like, I show him, like, how to just go on SoundCloud and, like, make an account and upload it. And then he's like, yo, yo, nah, bro. Like, God put you in front of me today like, for this reason. Like, I'm not going to let you go. Like, do you want to be my manager? And like, I took a step back. I was like, yo, what is going on? Wait, do you want to be my manager? Manager, bro. I was Stack City's man. Of course, I had to say yes, bro, because he was literally like, he was like, God put me in front of, put you in front of me for a reason. Like, you can't say no. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I mean, yeah, I, I can help you post your stuff. But like, I don't know anything about like the local, like Suffolk County, Long Island rap scene, yeah. you know, so whatever I, I i helped him out with a couple of things he gave me a bunch of cds um i mean i could tell you his music was not good at all like in my opinion but like you know when you're when you're managing something like you want to make it better this like, shit is the best yeah i mean listen i was just like he was like yo you heard my shit i was like yeah yeah i heard it he was like what'd you think i was like let me just help you upload it bro uh like you know let's uh let's talk let's talk turkey <laughs> something like that so uh, whatever I, I hope i helped him out i think he was upset when i left but it's all right you know when did, you, leave that when did you depart that was the, that was that was the, for me that was the beginning of college like my first couple months or i think i, I might have worked there for like my first semester yeah i worked there through my first semester and then what i did was um i was pledging a frat uh, <laughs> with uh with ahmed that john was also in the semester prior and um, I basically like, I, I was just like getting tired of going to work and doing the pledge process and all that. So I was like, all right, well, I don't really need this job that much. I'm just going to be a college student. So I quit. And then I was like, I'll get a job on campus. So that way I don't have to like work hours around school. Like it's way easier at a college campus. So that's what I ended up doing. So yeah, I quit that. I chilled for a bit and then I got a job on campus working in um like in an office building, like one of the admin buildings uh at at Stony Brook just doing like um like IT. So like I was like maintaining websites and stuff and I was I was also like I used to work right next to the president, so like anytime he had like a tech issue, he'd like call me in if I was there and help him out and that was pretty interesting. That was like, Stanley, right? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Stanley. I just, I find it weird, though, because, like, people with PhDs, like, you'd think they'd be adept at using computers and technology. But if you ever, like, been to college, you'll know that for some reason, people with, like, the highest level of, like, who have attained the highest level of education and expertise, like, still have no, like, different ability to use a computer than, like, your dad or grandpa. Like, it's yeah. just, I feel like it's an age thing more than, like, an education thing. 
it's it's it was pretty yeah, interesting. It was pretty funny, like what the problems that you'd run into are. Like some of them were like you know maintaining a maintaining a website, like like something with like security, like imaging a computer, like stuff like that, um, which is like normal IT IT things. But it's also like the other side of IT where it's like you know people just like. Wait, you'll see in like an office, people deal with this. Like you'll people will post like the tickets that people submit to IT. Yeah. It'll just be like it'll just be like help. Like that's all it says is just help. Like you're supposed to write like a like a title and a and a detailed description of what happened, and people will just write like help or update. Like no details whatsoever, just some ridiculous thing. And it's yeah. fun. I think it came up in a TikTok that someone was talking about how they work in IT and. They compare that. They compare the tickets that come in every day to um, the uh, a, a statement by uh, Bill Gates, who said that in three years, like eighty percent of meetings will take place in the metaverse. And then it's like, bro, <laughs> people like people don't even know how to like like turn on their computer half the time. Like, I don't know if I don't know if I could see like my own like dad like having a virtual meeting in the metaverse, whatever that means. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like COVID has forced people that I never would have imagined like to be able to use technology very well to use it well. Like I feel like my dad has gotten significantly better with a computer in the past 2 years because he had to. Like he knows like how to use his VPN and shit when he, when he was working from home. I'm pretty sure he didn't even know what a VPN was before then. I feel like most people didn't. <clears throat> they probably that, still that's don't, also but true. they just they just figured out the steps they needed to for work. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly true, John. <laughs> they, um, they just mimic the steps. They don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 not like like people don't learn about the technology per se just because they utilize it. Like in the same way that like we don't know like we don't know like. Well, I guess like me and John actually do know, but like you don't know what's happening inside of your computer on like any sort of detailed level, right? But like you use a computer and you think you're good at a computer in the same way that like if your dad knows how to use the VPN, then he doesn't actually care what a VPN is, right? All he knows is that it doesn't work until he presses this button and puts in his password, which is like very interesting distinction like that happens I guess we will go, I guess we'll get to that pretty soon, like just kind of going through my career progression, because that's, that's the type of thing that I focus on a lot in my job now. Um, so like, I guess before hopping into that, I guess, like to go to the next step after, after that IT job, I remember like Ahmed and I would both like show up to our jobs on campus, like 45 minutes, so to, like, an late, hour, yeah. hour and a half late. And like, you know, it's honestly just, it's just inconsequential. It's an, it's an on-campus job, like, and they're already very lenient in the first place. Like they don't even need you that badly. They're just hiring you for like, like just to give students jobs on campus, honestly. Yeah. So whatever, like, I didn't really care, but like, it was so funny because I was getting away with murder for a while. And then I was like, there's no way, there's just no way I'm going to get away with this one. And I walk in and like the lady she was just like, yeah, like, come here. Uh, I just need to talk to you. And she was like, do you like, do you want this job? Like, how badly do you want this job? Like, and I was like, I mean, like, I could like stop Not showing up much. late. Yeah, I was like, I could stop showing up late, but like, I don't like need the job. And she was like, oh, like, I mean, 
she was like, she was like, so you'll stop showing up late. I was like, yeah, yeah, I could try whatever. And I was like, I, I like, I apologize for that, whatever. And then like, unfortunately, like literally my next shift, I just didn't, I just showed up like an, an hour late again. <laughs> and like, unfortunately, and it, it's just, it's, it, you know, like, honestly, that's the type of thing I wouldn't do now, but it's the type of thing that I was very liable to do in college, like before I had any sort of like structure in my life. And also, it's just like, bro, I, like you have, you always have to think back. Like, it's so weird to think back to just a few years ago, where it's like, wow, like I've grown so much. Or you see yourself as that same person, but also realize that you were like 19 at the time, 18 years old. Like by any like by any standard, like that's still very very young, like early in your developmental like years when it comes to like you as a professional, like you as like somebody who contributes to society, like. I don't think most yeah. people who are 18 are contributing to society. Yeah, I mean, we were literally babies. Like now, like I, my my young my youngest brother is five years younger than me, which makes him a, a freshman in college. And like just looking at him, I'm like, I when I was his age, I felt like I was my age now. Like if that makes sense. Like I, when I was hit, when I was his age, I thought I was like I had reached the peak of like maturity like the peak of my physical form. Like I just thought I was like an absolute monster. And like, honestly, that, that confidence carried for sure. Like it, I, I don't like regret that, but like I definitely learned over time that I was not right. And I'm still not. And it, you, you look at him and you know, you know, he has that same feeling, but you just, I know man, take him seriously. Uh, I want to say it runs in like the family, but I think everyone at that age does just like how much they express it is like depends on their personality like i think everyone thinks they're invincible when they're younger and like over time you just get like you know like theoretically or actually like beat up enough times that you're like all right bro like this this is a lot more fragile than i thought it was like this whole life thing and like i don't know not to say honestly I, I wanted to I wanted to say like in so at some point in this podcast like ever since moving out of my house and like just living life I feel like life is actually way easier than it was sold to be like it was supposed to be some impossible task to like take care of yourself do your laundry like clean your room like pay bills like I actually you know when you realize it's designed for like the average person like it's really not that hard. Um, I just think like I think that it's it's a lot harder to like get what you want, but to like survive, I guess, like on a base level. Like, I don't know, my parents, my parents sold it to me like it would be some impossible feat before, like without getting married and having someone like to do it to help you out. Because they wanted you to stay. Yeah. I, I mean, also, it might be a cultural thing, honestly, but like also. My, when my parents did that, when my parents did their version of, of moving out, like they moved to another country <laughs> that, that that like they, they didn't speak like the language or like they weren't, they didn't know anything about the culture and whatever they did know didn't, you know, compare to theirs at all. So like for them, it was probably like, yeah, bro, like be careful. Crazy. <laughs> be careful when you leave home and like, you never know what you're going to see. It's like, no, I pretty much do know what goes on here because yeah. I'm part of the problem, if anything. But yeah, I guess to go back to um, 
down the story. I kind of like telling the chronological story. I went uh, from there. I worked at the, yeah, I worked at that IT thing. Got fired. What happened? Then you were I create. Yeah. I create. Yeah, yeah. True. Yo, so shout out that, Dave Ecker. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Dave Ecker. I met as an inspiration to me, truly. Um, I, and so uh, Ahmed was working. So when I when Ahmed was showing up to things at like an hour and a half late, but that piqued my interest because it's like, yo, bro, where are you working? Right? Like, what, what she, are you up nice. to? Show was nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you up to if you can do that and I can't? Like, yo, hook it, hook it up. And like, and so like I applied, he was working for this like innovation lab on campus. Um, it's basically like, it's like, I don't know. It, it's basically like a glorified like tech shop from high school, but like, you know, it was actually cool. They had like cool tools, like, like CNC machines and 3d printers and stuff. And I actually learned a lot by working there. Laser etcher. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, and I, I still love all that stuff to this day. I, I bought like, I have my own 3d printer. I just can't really use it that much in my apartment anymore. But I used to be, I used to use it a lot when I still lived at home. Um, but anyway, I, I was working there mainly just like, just so I can like chill and like just get paid. And which I did for uh, maybe like a year. I actually worked there for a while. Um, and then I actually got like an, and then after that, I got an internship, right? So it's like, all right, we'll show up an hour late over, sort of. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I did an internship that summer. Um, so I was trying to get like an engineering internship, like trying to be a computer engineer or whatever, because that's what my major was. Um, and like, I didn't get one. Like I applied to like a million of them, but it's like pretty luck of the draw, honestly. Plus like I wasn't the world's greatest engineer. <laughs> so I was like, I was just applying around and stuff. And I got attention from this company called Zebra Technologies and they wanted to hire me. Like I, I was interviewing for two roles. One of them was a software. It was for like the computer or electrical engineer. And they were like, you should do the program management internship. And I was like, why? They were like, you just seem like a better fit. I was like, I have no idea what that is. But like, if you think I'm a good fit, then like, who am I to say no? And so I interviewed with them and they were like, yeah, cool. Like just show up like on this day in like May or something after your semester ends. I was like, all right. And so I did that. And on day on day one, I realized that like, I actually was a good fit for this job. I just had to find out what it was first. And so like, I guess for, for listen, like just for listeners, I guess I kind of explain it. Um, in, in like, in, a, in like a company, like an engineering company, whether it be like a hardware company, like Apple making a MacBook or like an iPhone or like a software company, like Spotify making uh Spotify, <laughs> right though like th there's there's two main personas when it comes to the product right so so of course you're gonna have your finance people making sure like the valuation of the company is like good with and like profitability and running the numbers and stuff um but barring that side what i would i would consider to be like the business side of the company and like people doing like marketing and and like all that sort of stuff like when I, what I'm talking about with two personas is like the, the core team of people that decides what features go into the product and then what and then how do we create them? When do we like integrate them? Who are we making them for? Like those sort of product level, like hands on things. You have basically two personas. Um, 
kind of what the the kind of the job titles that fall under that under it are typically PM. So PM being project manager, program manager, or product manager. Um, and then your other personas are going to be like your engineers, your doers, right? So you're going to have your people who are hands-on building the thing, whether it be electrical engineers and mechanical engineers, you know, it, it doesn't matter like exactly what the product is, but it, it's kind of the way I think about it, kind of like thinkers and doers, even though everyone has to do stuff, of course, in their own way. Um, I learned that through this internship that I am definitely a better fit on the thinking, talking, presenting side of things than on the sit down and do uh, the thing side of things. And honestly, I wish I was more on that, more on the other side. Like I still want to be an engineer and I still do engineering things, but yeah, I, I, I had, I had learned a lot about myself, honestly, in that internship and I did a good job there too. So they had brought me back and I spent my last year in college, uh, and doing a good job there, like just building dashboards, like introducing older people who don't know anything about technology to like modern business tools. Like, you know, running data, um, like analytics, showing people like trend lines. They'll be like, yo, there's no way, bro. We've been going 30 years without like any of this technology. And now you're showing it to us and it's changing our lives. And to me, I'm just like, you guys are like idiots, right? Like not actual idiots, but like, it's just crazy to me. It's just, the, I guess, the disconnect, right? Like it's like, to me, it seems like such an obvious move, but it's like another thing I learned about myself there and also just general businesses. It's like, you know, business, like this, this company I was working at, it's like worth well over a billion dollars. Um, and it's like, you know, billion dollars in valuation doesn't mean that they have like the world's best business practices. Right. Or like they make money. Right. Like they found a thing that makes them money and they started doing it before like all this stuff existed, like before I was born. And so it only makes sense that, you know, the things that work don't typically get changed. No one says, hey, this process is, you know, get, making us a billion dollars. Like, let's change it. And so for that reason, it's it's like when you get we have a fresh face in, in any room, like get fresh eyes on a on a like a, a like a project or an idea or anything. You, you get such you can you can get such a different like reaction than you might expect. Um, and so that, it was really interesting to learn that, that like, you don't need to be like an engineer to make a major difference to a company, like your expertise as just a power user of, of a computer, like most people our age are now, or at least a lot of them are like, is enough to make a difference to keep yourself employed at like a good company. Like you don't need to be constantly upskilling yourself to like the newest version of like Python and running data analytics and getting a degree in data science to be like a business analyst. Like sometimes all, sometimes all you need to do is be like a third party who has like, who has enough like skills to plot a chart, tell a story with the chart and present it to the right people so that they can make a more educated decision. Um, and so that's kind of, that's, that's kind of been my approach ever since then to work is to just be helpful and useful um, kind of in the way I used to be, but now in a now in a situation that actually you know I could have some impact and make some money, um, and so that was my stint at Zebra, and so I uh, before hopping into the next I guess stage of my career, should I talk about like 
how I got there, like Shep or whatever. We could talk about Shep. Because that was an interesting period. I was not yeah. there for that. I mean, I, I wasn't there uh, when you got this job, but I was there the first year that we that we both went. So, I don't know. I, I could I could quickly go over Cleveland and then you tell us about Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like I've been talking up a storm. My bad. No, nah, no. Nah, you're good. You're good. All right. So, Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio, right? Um, myself, Zia, and, uh, and our boy, Big Moose, a previous guest on the podcast. Um, we decided to go to this conference called SHEP which was, uh, I think, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Yeah, we I, called it SHEP, but it's S-H-E-P. Yeah, I, it, it's weird. but Great organization, by the way. Yeah. Really um, basically, like it was that. like a job conference with like so, so many companies. And uh, yet we had to pay to go. And we we decided like the week before, we're, we were like, yo, we should go. We booked flights. We booked a hotel. And uh, we booked, like, the only hotel that was left. Because, like, for some reason, like, every hotel either had 21-plus check-in and none of us were 21. Or it was sold out. We were, like, weeks away from being 21. Yeah. It was, it was so unfortunate. Um, but also but, our yeah. school was going, right? So we ended up going with them because it was really cheap to stay. Yeah, but, but like we found out why. Yeah, so a bunch of uh, a bunch of the people that went from Stony Brook, I think they like pooled their money and got like an Airbnb or something. I I don't know what they did, but basically, we joined way too late to be a part of anything. So we just got a hotel, and it was like the shittiest hotel, like. Like it was so bad. Like there were like footprints on the wall, and <laughs> the the sink made like one of the loudest noises I've heard in my life. Every time you turned it on, um, yeah, would no, not, I, I would can't not recommend. It, was, it had to be the worst hotel room I've I've like ever been in. It, it was like you know, some I, shit like, you would see in a I'm movie. Not like, I'm not like bougie to the point where it's like I only stay in nice hotel rooms. Like I've stayed in motels and stuff like going same, across the country same. like i have no issue with any of that but this was like you know there's a difference between like not upscale and like literally like like a biohazard like we're, <laughs> a health con- a health concern yeah no like genuinely like there was like i, I checked all like i checked all the, the matches for like bed bugs and stuff because like even like expensive hotels will have those but they didn't it seemed pretty clean on that front but it's like you know when you when you flip the mattress to check for the bed bugs and it's like yellow on the bottom like you know it's like Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's it was like it was a situation like that and so we showed up it's me it's me i met in moose and we're just like all right well like obviously the first move right now is going to be getting us out of this hotel room like i don't care i'll pay money more money lose all the money on this i don't care i'm not staying here it was so it was just it was gross bro. Yo, to, to preface all of this too like we should have seen this coming because when we got to cleveland we get in the uber or the, the the taxi whatever it is we tell her where to go and she's like are you sure that's where you're trying to go 
We're like, yeah, that's that's our hotel. She's like, you got this hotel? Like, are you sure? You're like, yeah. Bro, She's cool. like, okay, I mean, suit yourself. And <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever, whatever that means. And we show Cleveland up. Cleveland's down bad, bro. Yeah, man. We we went we went like straight into like the trenches in Cleveland, and like the only building the only building that wasn't a house it was just like a random hotel, like brick hotel. Yeah, it was, it was pretty so shot. Did, did you get anything better or no? Nope. No, so no, no. We couldn't. They we needed to be twenty one. So we we stayed there. I mean, we went to the conference. It was it was dope. We got to talk to a bunch of companies and like I I I, I got an I I got Estee Lauder actually at school, but I got an offer from Chevron that I didn't end up taking, but. In general, I think all three of us benefited from just like the experience of speaking with people, and I don't know, Z. I, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, no, I loved it. It's an experience, and it's not just Shep. There's a lot of these, right? So, like, it's basically like an industry conference, but the focus is on like the focus is on students and getting them into the workforce. So companies from all around in any industry that you choose to go to a conference to like have a very strong interest in finding good talent, especially young talent that they could train into the exact people that they need. Um, and so like for us, we were, we were engineers. So it was a pretty general engineering convent, like convention, I guess, but because it was like society of Hispanic professional engineers, um, there is also like a strong, push on diversity and it was it was actually really cool to see all of the different people that the companies would send like you you'd be talking to people who it's like oh man like you know like even you catch yourself and be like oh i i would not have guessed you you were an engineer right and it's like it's like it's like looking at yourself and kind of examining your own bias in a way and being like damn i guess that's exactly why this thing exists and probably the same exact thing that we are subject to as well like it's like it's kind of interesting. I guess you look at just like human nature and, and it's like just in the kind of bias that's built into everybody. Like I have no, I have no doubt in my mind, like, you know, my, my own name, like might have like turned me off from like jobs or people or for whatever reason. And it's not something to get like hung up on at all, but it's a really interesting thing to think like if my name was different, like what I, what different outcomes would have happened in any given situation. And like yeah. maybe none at all, right? But it's it is really a, like an interesting thing to think about, and obviously a big enough issue that things like diversity and inclusion are like core pillars of any company that wants to have like respect these days. Um, I, I think it's a great thing. I think honestly, like um, if you want to have a meritocracy and you want to have people like who are like judged by their ability, or more so, I guess they're you know, yeah, I guess their ability, but not in the sense that like, you know, it's like if you can't contribute, you're not worth anything like, but more in the, more in the context of like people who do great things, like deserve great outcomes. Um, and, and it's like, if you ever want to reach that, then it needs to be like somewhat standardized, like what a great thing is relative to different people. Cause some people have to do amazing things to get to where people who do great other, other people do great things started at. Um, which is, you know, it's like, it's like an unfortunate reality of life. And it's, 
I don't think like whatever diversity and inclusion things companies are doing now, I think most of it is for PR, to be honest. Um, but I don't think it's hurting either. I think that like seeing just seeing yeah, different people at work, like, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Like the company I work for now is uh, is like o- over 50 percent women last time I checked, um, which is like very rare for any company, but especially like a big, you know, massive multinational corporation. I think it's really impressive. And like, actually, even outside of my company, every manager I've had, except for my uh, phone store, has been uh, female. And it's... And Dave Eckerd. You can't yeah. forget Dave Eckerd. Yeah. Yeah, he was more He was more of like a, a mentor, a partner to me. Yeah. But like, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I on that. I guess to get off that tangent, um, we can, like, so like, so we had went to Cleveland, and then I went again the year after that. Um, one because I still needed a job, and but that was still in like November time, so I still had time, um, or October. Yeah, it was October. Um, but also mainly because it was in Phoenix, and I really wanted to go to the West Coast. Um, so I went with. Uh, Moose again, and then um, my friend Tyler, or our friend Tyler, and then um, also Mark. uh, Also Mark. Yeah, man. Also Mark, who was on this show for two episodes. So, yeah. Oh, three episodes? All right, three episodes. Yeah, so so we went went with Mark as well, which was really interesting because Moose and Mark have like a very uh interesting i guess <laughs> dynamic yeah yeah they have a great <laughs> dynamic that's the that's the like i love i love their dynamic it's passionate oh it's passionate all things moose are passionate which is great but yeah um there i actually ended up getting my uh, my job offer there uh, funny enough tyler also works at uh at amex as well um through the same event we just, like, I can tell the story about the whole thing, but honestly, it's kind of long-winded, but it, it was pretty cool. Um, it ended me exactly where I wanted to be, which is as a product manager. Um, so I had been doing a business analysis, project management, and program management at that point. But like for me, the big fish was product. It's the one with the least amount of roles out there in the market and the most amount of like eight, like the most amount of impact on the things that matter to me, which are things like customer uh, and solving solving the problems and really kind of using your vision to change the actual product at hand. You know, it, it, it's it, it was what I wanted to do, and I ended up getting it, which is very rare for uh, most people entering the world of product, even from like really good schools and technical backgrounds and all that. So I, I was I got kind of lucky, but also I guess I was qualified, or else they wouldn't given wouldn't have given me the job. So. I was happy about that. And that's kind of how I ended up at Amex. I've held a couple of roles there as well. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if people are like, you think people are interested in like learning about product and stuff? Like, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess we could talk about what's the difference between for, product versus program? Because I know that's confusing, you know, yeah, definitely. even sometimes I get confused with the difference. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, it, it, it the the lines are definitely are definitely like pretty blurry, blurry between yeah. them 
Um, there are a lot of commonalities, but and and that's like that's a thing you'll find about like these type of jobs. Like when you go when you're either on more of thinker side than doer side is like on doer side. It's like we we need a specific skill set, and so therefore the like scope of your job is pretty well defined. Like you're only going to work with specific technologies because those are the technologies that the project or whatever we're working on is already written in, or we plan to write it in if you're if in the case of software. Um, and so that way it's like that way you, you hire someone who's adept at a certain skill set. Whereas on like the thinker side, I guess, I, I don't know if it's a great thing to call it that because neither one, right. They're not mutually exclusive, but like, just to say like 75% of your time and either one is spent like thinking and doing. Yeah. Um, I think uh, once you get to more thinking side, like at the end of the day, like your job is to get shit done, right? Like no, regardless of what your job title is, like you need to get things done um, in, in terms of like planning, like researching, forecasting, like, whatever you need to do that day for the like greater product or project, like is the thing that needs to get done. And so that's the commonality between all of them is that like, yeah, like you can, you can go into minutia about what, which, which one is, a, is technically this and that. And, and I'll, I'll, def, I'll explain right now, like what the differences are like on paper. So like a, like a product, a product manager is someone who, is essentially right like kind of embodies a product so for example like um there's a product manager at apple for the iphone um and under that guy there's other product managers who are responsible for different aspects of the iphone so you might have the guy who is the product manager for the iphone at the top and he's responsible for the hardware the software the features the next iteration of ios like everything about the iPhone. And then of course he can't make all those decisions about what goes where by himself. And so he has people below him who are responsible for smaller pieces of it. And so with each of those people who have to work with, work with customers to figure out what they want, what they like, what they don't like, and then work with the business to figure out if it aligns with what they are looking to do. Um, like they, every, they also are working with the engineers who make it possible. And so it's like great we figured out what the customer wants um, and it makes sense to us. And it's something that we're willing to do as a company. You know, you're going to, you're going to have to pitch it to leadership, people who understand engineering, people who don't understand engineering, people in marketing, how are we going to sell this? Is it worth making it better if we can't really make an ad about it? Like these are all things that everybody cares about in different parts of the company. Um, is it legal? Like, are we going to infringe on a patent? Uh, should, do we need a patent anything to protect our intellectual property? All of yeah. these things that come with even the smallest changes in a product by shipping at scale um, is owned by uh, owned by the product manager, um, and so like it doesn't mean you're making the decisions yourself. Like I don't get to decide if like if if we're going to do it or not, but rather I need to be the person who is the champion of this decision. In that if it goes one way or the other, like I follow the right, I do it the right way, such that all all of the people who are called stakeholders, just people you work with, people who have a say in the product or people who have a vested interest in the product doing one thing or another are like satisfied 
and making sure that you're essentially persuading the right people, pushing the right buttons, annoying the right people in any way, shape and form to get things done on time. Because not everyone cares about your little thing that you keep bugging them about. Um, and and so it's just it's really just like a, a kind of hustling within a company to get things done. Um, that's kind of product management. Um, and so program management is like what you'd call like higher level than uh, than product manager. So a product manager by nature must be detail oriented within his own product, his or her own product, um, and, and is concerned about like specific subsects of the like customers and customer base personas, like things like that. Whereas a program manager is covered is is more I, I guess closer to the business side of things. So a program could be several products or projects that are at, that are operating at once. So it's like a uh, program manager for the iPhone is not think is is not thinking about like the like button placement on the phone, but rather the how many iPhone models we're going to release this year and how far along in the process each one of those uh, like is in its development. So it's like you know if to, if we have a base iPhone we know we're going to have one of those. So the program of the iPhone. We, we might have to determine, yeah, okay, so we're going to do a bunch of research and figure out that people really like the small form factor. So we're going to introduce a mini version to the program. And so then a program manager is the guy who calls on the product managers and he's like, yo, how is this going? If Is it going to complete on time? If not, we have to change the program because we're not going to be able to offer the iPhone this year in this size. And that's why you see stuff like, you know, like kind of erratic, even from a company like Apple, which is so highly like calculated in their moves. Like there's something like the, um, if you, if you guys remember the air power, when that thing yep. was announced, that? that was a huge announcement like a couple of years ago. So, uh, so Apple, Apple said like, you know, App, Apple was like, they basically came on stage and said that wireless charging today sucks, right? It sucks because um, one, there's a standard uh, charging charging protocol called Qi, but besides that, like besides the standard protocol for the charging, um, it's not fast. And if it is fast, it has to be perfectly placed on the charger. Uh, if if it's perfectly placed on the charger, like you know, it's like it's just a bunch of cascading problems that are all like easily avoided by just plugging in anything. And so what they said is that we're, we're going to fix all the problems with it by making a charger, a big charging mat that you can just throw your phone, your Apple Watch, anything. And keep in mind, the Apple Watch is not even Qi compatible. It's from a different standard, <laughs> which is like a key part of this because they basically said just throw whatever you want on the pad and the pad is going to automatically align the coils with the charger, with the phone. So you don't need to worry about anything. It's supposed to be just like a magic like wireless charging pad that would get perfect alignment every time and charge really fast. Um, and they announced it on stage, which means it was far enough in its development that it was like surely going to come out yeah. and it never came out it, like a year later, year and a half, two years later, they said that it was canceled and um, they, they didn't, I don't think they said why, but like they, they figured out why pretty easily. And it's because it's like almost impossible like wireless charging is so inefficient in the way that it works, just like just because of the pure physics of it. Like there's no way to avoid the fact that having two things that aren't touching but conducting electricity are going to lose. Yeah, you're trying to induce current through multiple layers of physical material. 
Right. And, and so it's just like, just the physics of it. Apparently it was like overheating a lot. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't really reliable. And it, it, it was basically like Apple had decided that, um, whatever that they were capable of doing and willing to invest into creating this thing was not something that they were willing to put their brand behind, uh, and ship. And so they actually took the L on it. I think like the, the, this is the type of thing that a program manager, um, might, might do, um, alongside the business is determine like, is it cheaper is it for, it? is it cheaper for us to take the hit on our reputation by not dropping it or by dropping it? Right. Like, because it, even if they drop it, but it's overheating and it's like making them look bad, like that's not good. But there's also like a, a calculable, like really like damage to your brand and relationship and trust with your consumers that you can you can try to predict and kind of like assess um, as well. And so that's like, you know, it's, it's pretty like subjective, but a company like Apple, like they got people and they got processes and they know their customers better than anyone else. And it's because of these, like these, these PMs. Uh, and so then I guess to kind of close it out with the last, last PM, it's project managers and project management is a field of its own, but is also just a skill, right? A project is anything that is like, uh, that is a temporary, but two has like a defined beginning and end. Right. So, um, a pro like in comparison to a product, which is, is something that is in flight is ongoing. So it's like iPhone is not a project on its own. Like iPhone, like like iPhone six could be considered a project, but iPhone as a product is not a project because the iPhone is, has no end in sight. It's just the next iteration. Um, whether it be like transforming it into a whole nother idea, but keeping like the idea, like, you know, we, we don't know what's coming next, what technology is dropping. And that's what makes it a product. But a project is more like, all right, we're going to make like 80 million iPhones for this year's launch. And here's the beginning and end time. And here are the like requirements for it. Um, so like a product and a program are all made up of smaller projects. And those projects themselves need strong project managers who are really good at like reaching deadline, doing things like it by any means necessary. Like project managers are definitely the biggest finessers of the three. Um, product managers are definitely the best at like persuasion and speaking different people's languages. And prog- uh, program managers are definitely like the more, uh, if, you, if you look at all three, program managers, the most likely to be in like a suit, um, you know, working, uh, working alongside the business. Yeah. And so, I've done all three of these and I'm happy with where I'm at as a product manager. Uh, I like that my projects have no end in sight. Um, and that allows you to focus not on reaching any predefined goal, but rather to really think about what your next step should be, because we don't know what's going to happen next. Um, uh, well which is, said. Yeah, it's, it's, so that's why, that's why I like it. It shifts your way. perspective. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Cause you go from, what do I need to do to just get this done and be finished to what can I do to do the best quality work? Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause like, how do I set myself up for something that I don't know what's going to happen? Like, all I know is that it's like, you know, it's like in my, in my current job now, I, I guess to segue into that, it's what I do. It, um, 
what I do currently is I work in what's called American Express uh, Digital Labs. Uh, and at Digital Labs, um, we're essentially like the innovation hub in a way of the company. Um, other companies call it like a center of excellence or anything of that sort, which all it means is basically like a, a group of people whose job is not to maintain the company's like products and services that are, um, you know, in flight per se, but rather to have a, at least, at least have most of their job be focused on doing things like that aren't in market yet. So they, yeah, like things like researching, like emerging technologies, um, doing customer research, figuring out where we should be that we aren't today. Um, and, and just experimenting, breaking things and failing, like doing things that a company can't do in the public eye, um, letting them have a controlled environment to like make mistakes and figure out what we should do next. Um, and so it's, it's cool. It's, this is like a great place for me, honestly, because, um, I, I'm much more of a big picture thinker. I like to take like big leaps, like, at, and, and so to think, to think about what, to think about 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the future compared to like two weeks from now, in the way that like you would in like a small, in, like a project oriented thinking um, has totally changed my mindset. Like I've only been in my current role now at labs for about a month and it's already changed so much about the way that I think about like my, my own company and all of the other companies around me. And um, it's definitely, it's definitely really interesting to work on these type of problems and every company like should have, something like this, especially bigger companies, like innovation is everything if you don't want to get blockbustered or Kodak, right? But it, it's you'd be surprised like how, I guess. If you focus too much on what you already have and not on what you need to be, to right. continue to be, you know, a competitive player, then you kind of, you lose track, you like get tunnel vision on that one thing and fall behind. Yeah, dude, exactly, right? Because it's like, it's, it's really hard to convince people who built a thing that works really well and made them a lot of money to change it. Um, and so it's like when you look at a company like like Kodak back in the 90s, right? It was was it the 90s. It might have been the 80s. Honestly. I'm not even old enough to remember it. But it's like when you look at them as a case study, as a company, um, you'll when you look back at the, their reasoning kind of for why they, so Kodak used to be the biggest name in photography in like in the world. Um, they were the biggest name in film photography, film, film printing, film cameras. I have a Kodak disposable on my desk right here. Actually, I need to get it developed, but um, they were the biggest name in that. And, and so being the biggest name in that industry, they were flying high at the, at the height of their like, of their company. And so when, uh, during the advent of, uh, like electronic photography, what's it called? Like digital photography. Um, they, people came to them and were like, yo, we're so excited for the innovative new things that Kodak is going to do in the space of digital photography. And Kodak was like, why would we do digital photography? We literally have the best photography in the world. Like, why would we do a thing that we, have to take a risk on when we're already making the best film cameras. Right. And it's like, they're innovating in their own space. So they're like, yeah, like we just made the best film. And it's like, the issue is it's like you sell the best film enough times. Like that's cool. 
But the, the moment that people don't want film anymore, it doesn't matter if it's like literally the best possible film in like human existence. Like if you're not looking to buy it, then no one, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not my, it's like, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like while you were busy making the best product, like engineering the best thing, you forgot to think about who's going to buy it and what they want and why they want it. Um, and it's like that type of, that's like kind of product thinking versus just raw engineering and project thinking, right? Is it's like, we got so focused on making the best camera, the best film camera, because it made us money before that we forgot to remember that the entire world is a dynamic like network of people and opinions and experiences and things change so quickly that it's important to take a step back and look at your landscape, um, which is another thing like that's like just something that I love to look at, like read back on companies and case studies like that and, and factor it into my own daily decision-making when I'm looking into the future as well. Right. There's no way they could have predicted it. They were so, so confident. And you know, what else are we doing today in our own lives and careers that we're so confident about? Like we take as a given that is literally just like completely not. That could change at any moment. Right. I think there's a lot of assumptions that you make and you don't even realize it. Like when you actually look back and try to absolve yourself of ego and just be like, all right, like, what am I, you know, like what, just what's happening? Like, give me the facts, no opinion. Like you'll realize there's just so many assumptions that you have to make to like get to like a lot of your decisions and opinions. And that's where dangerous things happen when it comes to companies. It happens the same thing in, in life too, but it's like only affects you. A company, it's like, yo, like a billion dollar company just got faced off the stock market because like, you know, they just didn't, they didn't have, they didn't have anything when it came to uh, the, the industry, like consumer trends changing. Um, and so like, they just got caught. <laughs> they got They're caught lacking. Yep. Caught and, they, and they actually doubled down too. Like they doubled down. Like when the, when that, when, when, digital cameras started getting popular. It's not like it happened like overnight, like, oh, everyone forgot about Kodak. Like they, they, they watched it get bigger and badder. And of course they had an eye on it. Like they weren't stupid, but they just thought that if they doubled down, invested more money into making better like film cameras, that it would compete. Um, which, you know, in the moment doesn't seem like a bad idea at all. Like for them to make their cameras but twice also, as good. I think means it's like a lack of effort. I feel like it's a lack of like, understanding of the technology at that point, I feel like. Because if you understand the utility. Or, yeah, program and product managers probably come across like an emerging technology like that all the time. And mo- nine times out of ten, it'll be a fluke or it won't it won't amount to anything. Like, uh, yes. like if you think about like major companies, like that, like uh, you have Facebook, for example. Like, even though like everyone kind of hates Facebook, like there isn't really a like a huge, com- like severe threat to Facebook yet, right? And you know, there are people at Facebook that are always like analyzing whatever's going on to make sure that the threat doesn't completely destroy them. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and that's like exactly why you need innovation and it needs to be in a safe space separate from the company. 
Like it's good to have, it's, it's really good to have innovation culture. Like everybody should always be trying to do things better and do it different and just keep doing things better. Sure. But when it comes to stuff like predicting uh, digital cameras being like overtaking film within a couple of years, like that's the type of thing where you need to like remove the ego of your company and just be like, here is what people want. Here's why they want it. Um, how can we get started on developing something just in case it pops off? And, and so yeah. like, while I can't like dive into the projects that um, like I'm working on and like my company like may or may not be working on, like it's like, you know, safe, a safe assumption that like my company and every other company has their hands on a lot of emerging tech and it ca- keeps their eye on it because you never know when things are going to change. Like consumer demand is like totally unpredictable. The extent to which though is like, you know, another thing I learned is like, they don't leverage, like technology doesn't dictate what happens next. Like people still dictate what happens next. Technology is just like a vehicle by which they get to do it. And so this is actually a really interesting thing that, and I I think I said interesting a lot this this podcast, but like, I mean, it's like, you know, this is, this is kind of my passion. So it's like, for me, when I learned, or when I see this, it's stuff like, you know, uh, the dot com bubble in the nineties is like a perfect example of this, where it's like, uh, web one, what's called web one was like the, um, like public, it's cool. It's called like the publisher internet, like pub sub publisher subscriber where basically the internet back in the day used to be, you just go on online to a website and all you can do is read or like watch it or like look at an image, like, and then videos came out and then you can watch a video, but it was a one way street where it was like internet's over there and my computer's just a way to access an internet. Um, And then in the nineties, the concept of web two became a thing and web two became turned that one way street into like a two way street. Right. And so all these companies were coming. So in the, in the, in like the late nineties, I thought it was like the height of the stock market of all time. At that point, um, there were companies joining the stock market with like million and billion dollars, like million dollars of valuation, like for any idea people were like, yeah, like this is a website where like you go on the website and you just like write your name on it. And like, we want like $15 million of funding. And they would get granted this stuff because they were like, there's a new technology coming. People are going to use this. This is going to be huge. And like we saw, right, with with like at the turn of the century, that dot-com bubble was called a bubble because it popped. And so many people lost so much money because they were investing in Web2 companies that were using Web2 just for the sake of saying that they're a Web2 company. And like without diving too much into crypto because it's it, uh, like it go, it's a big topic on the channel so i don't want to like even d- dive into it honestly but it's like it's a it's a thing i'm seeing with crypto too which is like basically the same thing that happened with web 2 right it's like so many people like rushed into something just because it's new and then at some point like we're going to realize like we don't need this technology for this purpose but we will use it for the purposes that it's actually advantageous for. And so like when it comes to something like crypto, if we learn from our lessons in, in the dot-com bubble, it's like, you know what other companies came out of the dot-com bubble besides like crazy, like stupid ideas, 
like Google came out of that. Apple came out of the dot-com bubble. Like Facebook came out of the, no, Facebook was 2003. Um, like, well, yeah, it's an, it's a, it's a high influx of, of new companies. So the right. ones that are really good are going to usually, it's like survival of the fittest, but then they right. will have a good effect on the next wave of technology that we bring. Exactly. And, and, and so it comes down to like, if the technology exists, it's not good. It's not just about saying that we use the technology, but rather that we chose the technology because it has some inherent right. feature that makes our product do something that no other product can. And so it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like NFTs. It's like, um, it's not about the picture. It's about the like fungible, non-fungible token, like underneath. And it's like, but who's ever at, who, who has ever wanted to verify the like, like, uh, authenticity of a photo, like some people for sure out there, but not me and not most of the people who are buying them. Right. Like no one's ever had to solve the problem of verifying whether a like photo, which is like a, the current use case, a most popular use case, like no one's ever had that as a problem. And now people are buying a solution. Right. And it's like that's the type of thing for me. It's like that seems like bubble material. But for things that actually would need to be verified, like ideas like, you know, the registration or title to a car, like, that seems like a great thing to have stored in an NFT. Right. Like I, I it's like. If someone steals your car and then it's like, and if you, if, if you were to somehow misplace the title, then like, there's no way to prove that they stole it from you. Like, I mean, I guess they, you could prove it now with like, you know, like pictures or something, but it would have to go to court and it would have to be debated. There's no concrete evidence of it being yours. Um, compared to being like, yeah, like here is a like immutable, like, like here's like an immutable thing on the blockchain. Like you can see when it was put there by who, by some official, like, I guess, authority over who has, who owns what in the future somewhere. But like, I think it, I think it's like, that's something that makes sense. Like it, it, focusing on like solving problems with tech instead of creating, like solving problems that don't exist. Right. Like just implementing yeah. technologies. Yeah. Well, I also think the utility behind NFTs is that it's not always just for a picture. Like it's really more of the technology that you can, something's verified. You don't have to question its validity because exactly. people, people can just fake like tickets. They can fake. I'm saying like you said, art, but you know, like tickets or official documents, those can be NFTs as well. Yes, exactly. And that's why it's like, like when, the, when it's like a bubble and then it pops and then it settles and then you get some beastly companies that grow to be like like trillion dollar plus two, tri I think Apple just hit three. Like it's the ones that actually do it, do the thing that's right, not just the thing that gets hype that like are gonna, that are going to win. Like it's yeah. not a question of are NFTs like, like real or are they like here to stay? It's like, it's just a technology and it's like, you can use it. Like I can, like I can use like, I don't know, Python to write the front end of something, but it's like, yeah, but you, I could use JavaScript. It doesn't make a difference. Like at the end of the day, people only care about like the actual thing at hand, um, the thing that they can touch and use. Um, I think, I just think it's, I, I think for stuff like that, once, once blockchains and, and all that stuff gets like way like cheaper to operate like they, they just iron out all the kinks of like a pretty early stage technology 
Like it's going to yeah. have its place in the world. Like there's no doubt about that. Like why would we ever not use something that has a better, like, you know, that's better for something than something else. Um, it's, it's just all about figuring out what it is that it does and what it does better than things that we can't do today. Which that's well, yeah. I, I think the idea when I started to realize what CICD was at my new position, I was like, that's how the world needs to be and kind of how tech is. Like it's constantly like, all right, we tried this new thing. We we fixed these things, but now there's these new things. Let's fix those things and see what happens after that. So it's constantly building on top of this new technology, just trying to like trailblaze the path to like something that's actually really useful. Like along the way you just figure out ways that you could use the technology. Right. Yeah. And it's it's always about like taking the next step like shortest step and then like reevaluating. Like this is a big trend in, in companies all over now. This concept of agile where companies yeah. used to like take companies used to be like, here's what we're going to do for the next year, two years, three years, whatever. And it would basically be like a like hard set document where it's like this, it's been set. This is what we're going to do. And like, it's going to be really hard if, if even possible to change what we're going to do, like outside of this plan. And, and that's like, that's like the project mindset where it's like, we're just executing on things that we know we can deliver because we already plan them out ahead of time. Um, but the, the trends that everything is trending right now to, to what's called agile, which is like planning, like maybe some high level metrics. Like, you know, we want to increase like user like retention or we want to increase monthly active users or just just choosing some high level metrics and then the the way that you get to that is up to you right like because at any given point it's like let's test a little thing here and see if it increases the metric if it increases the metric it's like great maybe we're onto something like let's take one more step let's tweak another thing like right there then how do they relate oh did it go down did it go down because of the first thing or the second thing like let's do some testing let's talk to some customers and in a way, it's like you get to make mistakes, but those mistakes have tiny consequences compared to the one big mistake of the old way, which is literally just failing entirely, right? Like it's like mm -hmm. it's like the difference between launching a rocket ship and then realizing that you forgot like, you know, some critical like number in the physics math. And like now the only thing we can do is wait for it to explode in space and we wasted the entire rocket ship and all the effort put into it like it's like that compared to being like all right my goal is to end up at chipotle how i get to chipotle depends on the state of the roads and i don't know what the state of the roads are until i get to them right it's like oh like if there's a roadblock like it's not like my car explodes because it was like i planned it in a specific way i only had enough gas to get there in one way it's it's all about being like agile and being like all right well you know, if, if that exit's closed, I'll take the next exit and just do the loop-de-loop -loop and then, you know, we'll do our thing, like figuring it out as you go. And that's that's the way modern companies are trying to run. It's a lot harder, you know, to do than it's at, like on paper. It's much easier when it's for software development. Like it, yeah. it kind of is centric to that. But when you have totally. other, other types of engineering or a hardware product or something, it's a little different because you're in like a – when you offer like a SaaS – you're not in a, you don't manufacture anything. So you don't have to take that into account. Yeah, no, software as a service. That's SAS for those who don't know. 
Yeah, no, I, I think like, and that's, that's actually another important thing that you bring up because like a lot of companies are focused on doing things the way that other companies do it. Like they'll be like, Oh, like Google does it like this. Spotify does it like that. Like let's, let's copy their model because it's working for, for them. Um, but actually like kind of contrary to what I was just saying before, like the, the main thing at the end of the day is not process, right? It's like people. So it's like, if, if, if it takes, if it takes longer to get things done at your company, then like, it's not a good idea to force things in a smaller time box. Like all you're going to do is have leftover work that didn't get done on time. And, and cut corners like, and like people yeah. are not going to magically get things done faster if they're, if they were already working at their like comfortable capacity. Like, yeah, you can, you can maybe squeeze some, some more work out of people, but that's just going to burn them out. And that's just going to hurt your lot, like you in the long term. Um, so it's, it's important to, to just be very human when it comes to making things at work, especially when you're, you're in a product that has no end. It's not like after this project is done, we can chill. Like the project never ends. So it's important that everyone is operating comfortably because like we're in this thing for a while, for the long haul and we want to do it right. So it's just like, it's just a different mindset from the way that companies used to work. Not even that long ago, like literally like 10, 20 years ago, like there is very rare for a company to have this sort of like mindset for building any product. Yeah. Now I feel like I've gotten both sides of the spectrum. Well, not fully, but working at an older functioning company that followed like an older structure and now at a startup, which are kind yeah. of like two opposite things. And, and one offered like physical product. The other one offered software service. Right. And it's like, it's, it's, it's important that the, you know, your processes and stuff follow like the nature of your thing. But like, is it like you, like it's, you could, this is totally like, I mean, I'm guess, I'm guessing, but like, I feel like you'll agree. Like you can feel it in the culture of where you work just based on the like processes that everyone goes through, right? Like in a company where you can make small mistakes and keep iterating and focus on the customer, like people themselves act that way at work too. Like they're way more like, like usually more like open, outgoing, like not afraid of each other because it's like, we're not so dependent on each other. Like everybody's just trying to do the best thing possible at the time rather than being focused on some big metric, like super like yeah. stressed out all year round. Right. It's like, if it's like, if you, we want to re- reach this metric in like 11 months, then I got to start stressing now. Cause I don't know if we're going to make it or not. Oh yeah. Because before the, I would have my whole next two years like slated out for work, but now it's like, I mean, I, I just started, but even when I get fully like full fledged into my position, it's going to be like, all right, what, what do I have to help out with today? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard from Ahmed. I know he, he, like, so like the thing is Ahmed does like a very similar thing. I mean, he could probably talk about it better than I can, but he's like in, he's in projects, like sort of role, like programs as well. Yeah. I, um, like I, I like it's basically, not just software. Yeah, I, I take like uh makeup formulations that um a chemist will come up with and uh figure out like what kind of process it needs like on a chemical level, but also like 
just logistically like where where do we need to make this how much of this do we need to make to meet demand and all that um but you know honestly the industry is too slow for me so i need to go into tech but uh yeah i mean that's the exact thing right the like cycle time yeah like it like it just my takes pro- too long to get your hands on the on the changes that you're trying to make, right? Yeah. It's like, I, like I, I'm in I'm the same exact way. Just get bored. Like it's like I know exactly. I'm doing a good job. But I don't know. Well, I think I'm doing a good job. I won't know until like we make like a million pounds of this stuff. And it's yeah. like, what if it's not good? <laughs> <laughs> Back to the drawing board. Yeah. Anyway, Zia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank um, you guys. Thanks for having me on. I hope I was I, insightful. I, you make it easy. <laughs> yeah, I got to pull it out of you. Yeah, no, yeah, thank man. you. That was that was insightful. I don't know. It's yeah. just a different perspective of someone like actually in tech. Like when you think about what tech is, you think it's like this huge thing and like everyone's doing some like crazy stuff. Everyone's just doing the best they can to just make it a little bit better in agile every two weeks, you know, for every sprint. That's right. really all it is. Yeah, man. And it's like, I don't know, I guess it's good advice for anyone. Like, don't think about, don't think about the destination, but rather like what you want to feel like at that destination, if that makes sense. Like if you're, if your goal is to like end up in a job, like think about why you want to end up there. And it's, and then it's like, once you're like, start chasing your motivations and taking little steps instead of being like, I'm going to do what it takes to get to this position. It's like, why do you want to get there? Like dive in a little deeper. You'll realize like you can take a lot of steps to get there. Uh, and you might end up somewhere you didn't know, but you still got that same, you still fulfill that metric that you set in the beginning. Good point. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah thank you guys it. for having me on. Um, honestly, anyone listening to um, like, I'm always down to chat about any random stuff. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm sure my name is going to be written somewhere. Yeah, um, it'll like, be in the description. Add me on IG you. or something. At you want to plug your social? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I don't have any professional socials. I have a website, but it's still, it's still like under, uh, under construction and stuff. So we'll see. Um, maybe, maybe we can uh, update it later. But yeah, um, thanks for having me on, guys. You got it, bro. Ahmed, you know where to find us. At Black Box Podcast, no A in the Black on Instagram and Twitter. We got an A in the Black on TikTok. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Bye.